You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awake in the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word I put my hope. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. All right. Thank you for reading. We are so blessed to have students who are spiritual leaders among this congregation. And these four are certainly great examples of that. A couple of these students actually were sharing with us on Wednesday night what it's like to serve on our kids' ministry team. And I just want to tell you, if you have young ones who are in kids' ministry right now, they are blessed. They are lucky to be able to spend time with these students. Isn't that right, Katie? It's quite the team. And I know that it's mutual, and that's what they were expressing Wednesday night. Well, one thing that is true, regardless of what age group you are in, is a love for music. I don't know that I've ever met a single person who just flat out does not like music. So the style of music, that is very much up for grabs. But the fact that a person would be able to find some kind of music that speaks to them seems to be pretty universal. And so we arrive at the Psalms today, which is considered the songbook of the Bible. Many of the words that we read in the Psalms were originally put to music. And the people of God use these songs not just because they love music, but they use them as words to pray. And so today we continue on in this Lenten message series where we're studying prayer. And a couple things just right off the bat to reiterate. Lent, if that's a new term to you, is the 40 days that leads up to Easter weekend. And it's a special time each year for us to focus on Jesus and to focus on our need for him, our need for a Savior and his work on the cross. Secondly, Something we said a couple weeks back when we started is we felt led to do that this year by focusing on prayer. What it means to talk with God and what it means to hear from Him. This conversation that God invites us into that's called prayer. 
So on the first Sunday in Lent, I thought it was interesting, the kids are looking at the story of Nehemiah today. That's where we were two Sundays ago, Nehemiah's prayer in the Old Testament. Last Sunday, we had our friends Nijar and Niraj with us from the World Mission Prayer League, and they took us into the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're going to head back into the Old Testament to the book of Psalms. Among the 66 books that are in the Bible, I think the Psalms should probably be in your top five. And the reason I say that is because the Psalms uniquely give voice to our prayers. Athanasius was an early church leader. He was from North Africa. And he is the one who said this, Most of Scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. The Psalms give us the words to say how we're feeling and to express what we're feeling to God, whether it's praise and thanksgiving or it is pain and lament. And what we want to do today in our message time is look at some of the key ways that we can use the Psalms in our prayers. And we're going to cover four categories of Psalms, praise, confession, lament, and then the fourth one is how lament leads back to praise. And yet before we go through those four, in case the Psalms are new to you, just a few more things by way of introduction or by way of reminder that might be helpful. So we said the Psalms are songs, they're ultimately prayers, and the other thing to keep in mind is that they are poetic in style. And as poetry, as we know from English language poetry, the Psalms use lots of figurative language, metaphors, and hyperbole. If you remember that term from English class, hyperbole is exaggerated statements, overstatements to make a point. And we're not going to take time to detail those different terms any further, but let me just read a quick example that illustrates this. David said, and David wrote many of the Psalms, King David said in Psalm 6, all night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Now clearly, he did not literally flood his bed. His bed was not, you know, floating in the bedroom because he had been crying all night. That would be quite the feat. But rather, he's using figurative language to describe the intensity of his emotion and his distress. And that's exactly what poetry does. Or think about these words, maybe especially this morning and yesterday in this snow globe world that we're in. Think about these words from a well-known song. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. And I want you to think about what is most important about those lines. Is it the status of the chestnuts? Or is it the alleged existence of Jack Frost? Or is it the feeling that those words evoke? That is the power of poetry in song. And the Psalms harness this reality to meet us, to meet you in what you're feeling, in what you're walking through, and to be able to take that to God in prayer. God has given us this book for that purpose. So sometimes you'll hear people on occasion, I've heard this, they'll make a big deal about if you take the Bible literally or not. And maybe they have a strong opinion one way or the other. But that question misses actually how to properly reverence Scripture and understand it. Because really what you want to do is take the literal parts literally, 
And you want to take the figurative parts figuratively. And here's the key. You want to take all of it truthfully as God intended. So what a gift we have in this book as a whole and in the Psalms. And as I finish just this little introduction, let me quote one more old Christ follower from the same era as Athanasius. This guy's name was Basil, Basil of Caesarea, which is in what we now call Turkey. And this is his statement on the power of the Psalms. He says, A psalm drives away demons, summons the help of angels, furnishes arms against nightly terrors, and gives respite from daily toil. To little children, it is safety. To men in their prime, an adornment. To the old, a solace. To women, their most fitting ornament. To novices, it is a beginning. To those who are advancing, an increase. To those who are concluding, a confirmation. A psalm is the voice of the church. And so with that, let's get into these four kinds of prayers that will be our focus today. Number one, the first psalm we heard this morning was Psalm 108, where we have words of praise. Just a brief excerpt from the psalm. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And one of the great lessons of the Psalms is that amidst any emotion or any situation you could find yourself in, we can praise God. The Hebrew name for the book of Psalms is Tehillim, and it simply means praises. And you will find no matter what you're reading in the Psalms, they are always moving in this direction. They're moving toward praise on the best days and on the worst days. So even David, in his bed, flooded with tears, at the end of Psalm 6, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will sing the praises of his name. The praises of the Psalms are really what serve as its anchor and as its focal point. And there's going to be ample room, as we'll see, for every other emotion and human experience. And yet the Psalms orient our prayers around the praise of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book on the reflections of the Psalms, and he said, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Nobody puts it quite like C.S. Lewis. That's good. And it's a reference to 2 Samuel 6, where it says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time that you danced before the Lord? And I suppose the next question is whether I mean that literally or figuratively. <laughs> I'll let you wrestle with that. But there's so much I realize that in my own life will try to crowd out the joy of the Lord. There is so much in your life that will attempt to keep you from praise. Even your own prayer requests will run to the front of the line and will beg for attention ahead of God's praise. And so we do well with Psalm 108 to start with praise. The next one we come to is Psalm 130 in a prayer of confession. Confession of our sin and the assurance of God's forgiveness. So here's some of what we read. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. 
If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Like praise, the time that we take to confess our sin to God may also fall short. It is definitely not on the radar of cultural Christianity in America. But for other people from other places or other times, they didn't miss its prominence. Did you know that the first book that Martin Luther ever published, and he published a lot, was a book on the penitential psalms. It's another way of saying the the psalms of confession. And one of the reasons that Luther was so drawn to the psalms in general is because he would read them and they would so clearly point to salvation and he said they would point to Jesus. He called the psalms the little Bible within the big Bible. And he said the Psalter, if you've ever heard that word, it's another way to say the psalms, the Psalter ought to be a dear and beloved book if only because it promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly. In the Psalms, Luther knew we find the place to take our sin and to bring it to God in prayer. This week I got a note, a handmade card, from one of my kids. And it was from one of the younger ones who right now is in kids ministry, so I can share it with you. We'd had a particularly rough morning getting to school, a really rough morning. And when I came home from work for supper in the evening, I found this card had been written. And so I open it up, and it says, Dear Dad, I'm sorry about this morning. I just don't know how to handle this kind of stuff. And uh, faced with big crocodile tears coming down it. And I read that, and what did that allow me to do? I called her over to see me uh, before we sat down for supper, and I wrapped my arms around her, and I said, I forgive you. Thanks for writing to me about it. It was a tough situation, but I forgive you and I love you. And my arms are wrapped around her and you could just feel the tension in her little body melt away. And for me, that was just the smallest glimpse, the smallest reminder of what happens for you and I when we confess our sins to God. When we say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I just don't know how to handle this kind of stuff. And because of the cross, because what Jesus did for you and me, God puts his arms around us and he says, I'm so glad you told me about it. I forgive you. I love you. So we looked at praise and that is confession. And now the third one we'll move to is lament. A prayer of lament. Psalm 3 is the first psalm where God is addressed directly. And so we realize the first psalm we come to in the psalms is Psalm 3 that speaks directly to God in lament, a cry for help. And it was written by David when his son Absalom had seized his throne and King David is running for his life and actually flees Jerusalem. So as we remind ourselves of some of these words, imagine that David is on the run. He's in the wilderness He's trying to sleep with one eye open. And he writes, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. That's Jerusalem. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. 
And that, my brothers and sisters, is all we have sometimes, isn't it? All you can say at the end of the day is, the Lord has sustained me once again. And truth be told, that's all we ever have. But there are times that we're especially aware of it. The Psalms are the best place in the Bible for you to find the words to pray when you need help. When you're in trouble. When you're anxious. When you're scared. When you're heartbroken. When you're discouraged. And a thousand other descriptors. There are more Psalms of lament than any other category in the book. Over 65 of the Psalms are classified as laments. And so what does that tell us? God wrote this book, and it tells us that we have ample permission to take our cries for help to Him in prayer. And when we do, He answers. The the series title we're using, He Hears My Voice, is taken directly from the Psalms. He hears, He sees, He knows, and He answers. And so a lament, we realize, is much more than just registering a complaint with God, some one-way transaction. But it's taking us somewhere. There's a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, where the author says that a lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. A prayer of pain that leads to trust. And you hear that in Psalm 3. When I take us to earlier verses in the psalm, this is how David begins. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me. Remember, he's on the run. God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head. Every night at 7.30 bedtime for our eight- and nine-year-old, that last line plays on the CD player in their bedroom as they fall asleep. They have had some hard things that are part of their story before they came into our family. And so every night, this lullaby sings, You, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Do you know how to take your laments and your sorrows and your needs to the Lord? I encourage you to use the Psalms and watch what happens as you will hear his voice and as your trust in him will grow. That's the prayer of lament, but it leads to a question. And that is, what about the imprecatory Psalms? Do you know what the word imprecatory means? I wouldn't have either, except I got to do the homework for us. But I bet you actually know what it means without knowing it. Let me read you part of Psalm 69 and see if you can answer the question. That psalm says, You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed, God. All my enemies are before you. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. So do you know what an imprecatory psalm is now? The imprecatory psalms are the ones that ask God to bring disaster on one's enemies. And so even as you would 
read the Psalms or pray them, they might give you pause. Ah, can I pray this? Or you might even wonder how they fit in the Bible. You know, how do you call for the destruction of your enemies and square that with Jesus teaching to us when he said things like, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what do we do? I want to share a few things so that you don't get tripped up by these particular psalms. The first thing we'll talk about is their size and scope, because sometimes it can get a little bit overblown. There are 18 psalms with imprecatory elements, and it's often just a single line or verse. So just to keep that in mind as we consider it. More importantly, I'd encourage you to avoid a solution that would just throw them out altogether as if they are outdated or no longer valid. I really like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about this. Keep in mind, he was eventually executed under the Nazis, so he knew enemies. And he said, we shouldn't pick and choose. Otherwise, we dishonor God by presuming to know better than he what we should pray. And so it's good to wrestle with these words. Essentially asking God how they fit into his word but not doubting that they do. And with that in mind, here's some helpful principles. I actually had these from seminary. jotted these down in a class with Dr. Curtis Edwards. And here's what he said. First, the imprecatory psalms are not an outburst of personal vengeance. So they're not an example of road rage or a temper tantrum. But rather, their prayers address to God, and ultimately they are about the vindication of His righteousness. Secondly, these kinds of psalms, they do express a rightful and proper hatred of sin. C.S. Lewis again, he said, The ferocious parts of the psalms serve as a reminder that there is in the world such a thing as wickedness and that it is hateful to God. Thirdly, let's go through these briefly. Thirdly, we remember that the Psalms are poetry, as we said earlier, and specifically Semitic or Hebrew poetry. So that means the Psalms are loaded with figurative language and hyperbole. And in pointing that out, I don't say that to set aside the tension, but we should remember the emotive priority in which they're written. Fourth, the Old Testament believers, those writing and expressing the Psalms, they did not have the full revelation of the gospel yet. So we should be careful in how accountable we would hold them to New Testament teaching. Now that principle doesn't mean the imprecatory Psalms are now null and void, but it gets at the tension that we're going to aim for. And lastly, the imprecatory Psalms ultimately reflect how God feels about sin. And so the perspective we arrive at is that, yes, we can and should use the imprecatory psalms, but we want to do so in light of Jesus' teaching. And therein lies the wrestling that will often be with us in these kinds of psalms. All right, so that is a little aside, but I wanted to address it in case you run into those down the road. We still have one more psalm to look at in our categories, and that's Psalm 57. I saved this psalm for last since it comes full circle, which the Psalms often do, and it moves from lament 
all the way back to praise where we started. So first, you'll see the lament part in verse 1. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. That's the cry for help. And that last phrase, until the disaster has passed, reminds us that a prayer of lament is not our last prayer. As one author put it, lament is a prayer in the meantime that says and recognizes this too shall pass. Even our laments move toward praise. They don't move there too quickly in the sense that it negates your situation or it would downplay your distress, but it says to you, you can still end in praise, which is exactly what Psalm 57 does. David says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And in case that sounds familiar, that is the same exact refrain that we heard in the first psalm we read in Psalm 108. We've come all the way back around. I want to encourage you this week to try praying some psalms. And maybe the way for you to do that is take the verses our students read for us today. Just take your bulletin home. Tuck it in your Bible. Put it in your purse. And that is the first five verses of Psalms 108, 130, 3, and 57. Or maybe you're going to find four of your own, four favorites that you'll take into prayer. Whatever it looks like, I want to encourage you to find a way to get the Psalms into your prayer life. N.T. Wright has a wonderful closing statement for us that's in his book, Simply Christian. He says, the Psalms are inexhaustible, and they deserve to be read, said, sung, chanted, whispered, learned by heart, and even shouted from the rooftops. They express all the emotions we are ever likely to feel, including some we hope we may not, and they lay them raw and open in the presence of God. Last weekend, we had two funerals. It doesn't come up too often, but we had a funeral Saturday and one on Sunday. One connected to our church family and one connected to our friends here at the YMCA. And I was reminded this week that both of those funerals found comfort and hope and voice in the Psalms. For one, it was Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And for the other funeral, it was Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And so, my friends, of all the songs that could speak to you, may these songs be the loudest and the closest to your heart. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we thank you for the treasure of your word to us. 
our highest praise, our deepest lament. We find expression for them in your word. And I pray in this season of Lent, Lord, for each of us that the Psalms would take up a new prominence in our prayer life. I pray that these words would become our words back to you. And so together, Lord, thinking of the Psalms and thinking about that song that plays over my daughters, we pray these words back to you. That you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory. And you, Lord, are the lifter of our heads. We thank you for these true and precious promises in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.